Well, in continuing with our series on David, you know, King David as our role model and looking at, at things in his life, I, I wanted to look at an aspect of his life that you could say is maybe a little obscure. It's just kind of a something that that was quickened to me and actually in a conversation having with Sarah just um, that that kind of jumped out. And it the the thought stems from some of his most famous words actually in Psalm 23. We won't read the the whole psalm, but you know, we can remember him saying that the Lord is his shepherd and leads him uh, besides the still waters and restores his soul. And you know, he's his he's not stumbling along his way. Instead he's led. Even though it's sometimes it's through the valley of the shadow of death, but he's not afraid. He doesn't fear it because God is with him and is going to lead him out again. But then I wanted to look at this, these specific verses. You can probably quote them, but in Psalm 23, verse 5, he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a lot in those verses. But, but really, one little phrase kind of stuck out to me that I think can encapsulate a lot of the other things he mentions, and that was that phrase, my cup runs over. My cup runs over. And so David is sharing a concept of a cup, a vessel, and, and it's going to be filled. And in this instance, he's saying, God has filled me with his goodness and his mercy, and it's just running over in my life. Now, if you do a word study on this concept of a cup, it, it's really interesting. It's, it's amazing how much there is on this concept in Scripture, um, how, how, and even how much the Lord himself uses this term about our cup being filled. Um, and he uses it to describe the righteous, and the wicked. In fact, it seems like he uses it to describe the wicked a little bit more, even than the righteous. You know, the wicked have a cup. Well, we all, first off, we all have a cup, and it's going to be filled one way or another. The wicked have a cup, and they seek to fill it with all pleasant things in this life, you know, good things uh, that they see fit, but they, they do that without, uh, you know, apart from the Lord. They fill it with things of their own making. Um, but in the end, it's transformed uh, into something else. And the Lord calls it a cup of judgment that's poured out upon them. And I just want to consider the, the cup of the wicked, and then we'll look at the cup of the righteous. Right, but you know, it's important to understand because there's going to come a day, in fact, the scripture is really clear when God says, the cup will be full, the cup of the wicked will be full, and he's going to pour it back out upon them on the earth. You know, we're going to be here too, but God will take care of us in that respect. But, but yet, the day is coming uh, when a cup of terrible judgment will be poured out upon the wicked who refuse to follow him. But in, in one sense, everyone who is wicked tastes of that cup eventually. Psalm 11 and verse 6 says, upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire, brimstone, a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. 
those we can kind of recognize some of those descriptions from Revelation, right? I mean, that's that's really what is poured out upon the earth concerning the judgments of the last days. And so that's the wicked who have nothing to do with him. But, you know, even upon God's people, he had to pour out some of these cups. You know, we can read how God had to pour this out, this cup of judgment upon Israel at times. Isaiah 51 and verse 17, where he said, Awake, awake, stand up, Jerusalem, which has drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. Yikes. I wouldn't want to drink that cup. You have drunken the dregs of the cup of trembling and wrung them out. You know, Jerusalem had to drink a terrible cup. In fact, it's had two several times over the, the centuries. But it was really because she regarded or disregarded the warnings that God gave. You know, the leading of the Lord, speaking to his prophets when he would say throughout the prophets, I've sent my prophets to you rising up early and speaking to you, but you didn't heed it. You listened to your own things. And so they had to drink this terrible cup. And really that should, is something that should give all of us pause and cause us to walk in the fear of the Lord. Because uh, God can speak to us and at times correct us, but how easily we like sheep can go astray and cease to respond to the voice of the Lord or you know, the words of his prophets, so to speak, or his, his voice to us. Jeremiah's cry was this, because he saw the terrible cup that was poured out upon uh, the wicked in Jerusalem. So he said this, Jeremiah 10, 24, he said, Lord, correct me, but with justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. You know, he saw that cup that was being poured out, and really it was the cup of doing what's right in your own eyes, and the result was the cup of God's anger, or as, as he said earlier, the cup of his fury. Well, I would not want to taste the cup of God's fury. We're going to see it in the last days, but we don't want to taste it or have to drink of it ourselves. And so Jeremiah's cry, which I think is a good reflection that, that we can have as believers, oh God, help me to receive your correction because it's always just. It's always good. It's always right. But if I don't receive that, he's saying, I, I don't want to receive what comes after that. If I, if I cease to receive that, it's the cup of anger that brings us to nothing, to desolation, as, what, as happened with Jerusalem. And so, uh, you know, Jer Jeremiah was willing to see that, receive that correction. It's not always easy, but it's just and right. And so that's the lesson of the cup of the wicked. It, the cup of the wicked might be pleasant for the short term. Sometimes you look at them and it's like, man, why is, it seems like they're doing really well, right? They're drinking a good cup in life. But God says for every one of them, it'll be a cup of bitterness. It'll be a cup of, of judgment in the end uh, because they do it apart from him. And so now let's switch because I want to consider the cup of the righteous to see how God wants to pour out upon us. He wants our cup to overflow with his goodness. 
And, you know, he wants us to have a, a good cup. And I think one of the best illustrations of this, of, of the cup that he wants to, to give to us of goodness and of glory, I think it can be seen in, in a question that was asked him. And you remember the story in Matthew 20, how James and John came along and uh, with their mother. In fact, in Matthew, it says the mother asked the question. I don't know how that worked. Mom, you ask him for us. Or if the mom was saying, let me ask, because I want, I want you guys to be in a good place for eternity. And so they, they humbly asked, can, can we sit at the right and left of you for all eternity? And Jesus' response was very remarkable. Not in, in how he told them what, that they couldn't or so forth, but, but what he says to them about a cup. So Matthew 20, 20, verse 22, it says, Jesus answered and said, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink of the cup that I am going to drink of? And, and naively they said, Sure, Lord, we can drink that cup. You know, they didn't realize what was about to happen. Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? They said, we are able. But then here's verse 23, which is really the most remarkable. And Jesus said to them, you shall indeed drink of my cup. I think if they had realized what he was saying, they might have said, well, hold on, hold on a second, Lord. Uh, I might need to take that back. But yet the Lord knew that what they would drink from as his disciples. He said, you shall drink of the cup, my cup, and baptize with my, the baptism I baptize with. But to sit on my right hand and left is not mine to give. It's given to those who it's prepared of my Father. And, you know, we, we can understand that they really didn't, un, they didn't know what they were asking of the Lord in that because to partake of God's glory means to partake of his cup. And what was his cup? It was the one that he drank before he went to the cross. You know, in order to, uh, it was the cup of suffering that he drank for the redemption of all mankind. And even Jesus himself was reluctant to drink that cup. He expressed that clearly. You know, in the garden, in Matthew 26, 39, it says he went a little farther than his disciples and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if, it, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He didn't want to. It wasn't, you could say, something that he desired in, in his humanity as a man and also God. But he drank that bitter cup to save us. And also because it was a cup that his father gave him. And he had to receive it. His humanity didn't want it, but he obtained a perfect victory. And it was really through that phrase, Father, not my will, but your will. And he received that cup. And what we need to understand as disciples of Christ, as followers, is that he has a cup. And if we're going to follow him, He's going to have that same offer that he offered to James and John. And they, they received it not knowing, but yet we know because we're, we've read the whole story. That the cup that he has, you know, the end result of that cup is overflowing 
with goodness. It is absolutely overflowing with goodness, and it's overflowing for all eternity. But there will also be times or seasons that we will have to drink from the cup of bitterness because he's calling us to drink from his cup. Because Jesus said to James and John, he said, you will drink my cup. He didn't say, you, you will drink your cup. He said, you're going to drink my cup. I think that's really profound. That as disciples, he's calling us and he's saying, I want you if to, to receive my cup of glory. There's, a, there's sometimes there's going to be a cup of bitterness to drink from, but you're drinking from my cup and you're following me in that way. And so there's times that we're called to drink from that bitter cup or a, the cup of trembling or of weakness or even sometimes of sickness or a cup of feeling alone like Elijah or a cup of feeling like we're in a prison like Joseph or maybe even suffering like the Apostle Paul. They all, they all had their cup that they had to drink from. But what's significant is that cup prepared them for what God wanted to do through their lives, in their lives and through them, you know. And so that cup that he calls us to drink will prepare us to minister or to be used by him. But really the most important thing is, is to have his image worked into us, of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now, there's many things or, or several things you could think of uh, concerning the cup uh, from Scripture, but I just want to focus on two things here, two thoughts that that uh, of of how the cup can can be developed or worked in our lives, how the cup will work in our lives and needs to. The first one is something that Jesus mentioned, and he said to the Pharisees, and he said this. Of course, the Pharisees are the biggest bunch of hypocrites out there, so he he used this illustration. But I think it's significant for our topic here. Matthew 23 and verse 25. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you make clean the outside of the cup. It's nice and shiny on the outside and the, and the plate. But within, you're full of extortion, excess. You blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which with, is within the cup and the platter. And that the outside may be clean also. Now, he's not saying that we should leave the outside unclean and focus within, but he's saying the most important is that we're clean within. You know, they were, the Pharisees were only concerned about the outward appearance, you know, looking good and being, uh, being seen as great and so forth and looking good. And, uh, but they neglected what was taking place within. They neglected the inner, the inner man, as as the scriptures talk about. You know, we can have the we can prepare the healthiest drink. You know, that's that's kind of a thing in our society today. We like to have healthy drinks, and so we have all these different concoctions that we have and so forth. But what good is that if you pour it in a dirty cup? We can have the best of what God's prepared for us but we have to care for our cup and make sure it's clean. And so it's important to examine our heart 
and say, Lord, is there anything that can cause my cup to be unclean? Because if there's one thing the enemy is looking to do in this world, it's to make us unclean, to defile us. He's, I think the enemy has worked in our society and worked in, in technology and done all sorts of things for the single purpose of defiling us. And when we're defiled, we're separated from God. And so he can cause us to be unclean, to cause our cup to be unclean. Now, of course, it can speak of iniquity and sin, but you know, it can also speak of motives. Un- maybe motives that aren't quite pure. That there's there's an aspect that it's self-fulfilling as well as fulfilling God's will. And we have to be careful of that. Or maybe our own desires or our own thoughts, our own concepts that we're holding on to when God's saying, just let that go so I can bring a cleansing. You know, the enemy can't really defile us directly, but he can can influence us to defile ourselves by trying to influence what we think and what we say. King David said in Psalm 1914, he said, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and redeemer. You know, David realized that his thoughts and his words had to continually be examined so that he would be acceptable to the Lord and have a clean vessel. And, you know, more than ever, we have to be careful of what and who we're listening to because it will greatly influence what we think. We can't rely upon the outward appearance. And I think that's so important today is sometimes if something looks good, we, we accept it. But I think today, even if it looks harmless, we have to check with the Holy Spirit. Lord, is this something you want me to receive from or allow into my spirit? We have to pass it through that filter. Lord, do you want me to feed upon this? And of course, we can look at the the eight gates as well. Lord, is this good? Is this true? Is this uplifting? Is it going to be edifying to my spirit? You know, we want to go through all of those questions in us before we allow something to dwell in us, lest it make our cup dirty. Will it encourage me to think upon the Lord and, and cause his thoughts to be upon me? Or, and here's what I see happening so much today, or will it create fear? Will it promote fear? Because fear can be very defiling. It causes us to do things we wouldn't normally do. Have you ever heard news? Or, well, let me put it this way. You know, sometimes we hear about a hurricane coming here in Florida, and I've had times where, oh, I heard it on the news. Well, I better go get some water. And what happens when you go to Walmart, the whole water aisle is just bare. All that's left is distilled water or something like that. And it's because, oh, fear's coming. I normally wouldn't get five cases of water, but you see people out going, you know, going out of Costco with all of that. It's, oh, it's hurricane season. But yet, you know, that's kind of a little thing. That's not going to impact us. It'll just have us water stacked high in our pantry. But There's things in our spirit that, you know, maybe things we would say or things we would normally, we wouldn't do, 
but that fear can cause us to do those things. But God is calling his people to be anxious for nothing, but to come to him with prayer and supplication. And we can find peace. And so we can, we can do so by coming to the Lord and say, Lord, cleanse me from anything that would defile my cup. You know, search my thoughts and my words. Make my cup clean and acceptable in your sight. And so there's that thought of having a clean cup, you know, and, that cont- and, and that's the thought of, you know, continuity. None of us would wash our cup, you know, at the beginning of the month and say, I think I'm good for the month for this, this cup being clean. I'll wait till next month and wash it again. And drinking coffee and all sorts of stuff in it and milk or whatever, none of us would want to do that. And so no matter what our spiritual level, we all have to come to that place. Lord, I need a fresh cleansing today. Now, one more thought I wanted to consider with the cup is that the cup can also speak to us from Scripture of joy, the joy of the Lord. You know, in in the Scriptures um, and in olden times, you know, even not many years ago, maybe a few hundred years ago, water was not really safe to drink. And so they would drink, you know, fermented beverages, wine and so forth. And, and so the, they would drink that the cup being served to the king would, would, would speak of joy, which is a symbol of the joy of the Lord. And so, or wine is the symbol of the joy of the Lord. And so Nehemiah shared those uh, famous words in Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And he would know about joy because he was, he was the bearer of, he was the cup bearer to the king. He, he bore the cup of wine to the king to bring joy to the king. And now that was in the natural, but in the spiritual, that's a symbol that, you know, we can be vessels that can be filled with the joy of the Lord, and that brings joy to our King. That, and that's an awesome thought. Here we are. This, we're, we're just this tiny little create, created being on this world among billions, but we can bring joy to the King of the universe. We can bring joy to His heart as we become vessels that are filled with His Spirit. And we can overflow with his joy. Now, the joy that we're talking about here is divine, of course. It can only come, uh, it's not just having fun, but it's, it's the spirit being, uh, filling our lives with a divine substance. It's a joy that enables us to see beyond our circumstances. See beyond what we're in right now. A lot of times it helps us to look above and over because in the, in the moment, our circumstances seem like giants. But when we have the joy of the Lord, it can help us to see beyond that. To see that God can turn every situation for good. That He's our deliverer. That He's prepared a wonderful place for us in heaven. Joy enables us to go through anything, really. You know, if we're rejoicing and have a rejoicing spirit, it can cause us to overcome, as it did with Jesus. And it said, and it says in Hebrews twelve and two, verse two, it says, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, which was the cup of bitterness. For the joy set before him, he could drink of that bitter cup and despise the shame and afterwards is, is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so Jesus sat down at his appointed place of glory because of the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord was his portion. And God wants to give us and, and allow us to partake of that divine joy. Now the thing is, is we can, we can see how joy is related closely to this thought of the cup we drink from the Lord, but joy is also developed through some challenging situations. In fact, it, it's kind of hard to think of how one of the ways that joy can be developed in our life is through sorrow. It doesn't make sense in our natural mind. We say, Lord, I want more of the joy of the Lord. And then he takes us through Isaiah 61 and verse 3. To appoint for them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And that's our goal, right? We want to be a cup that's overflowing with the goodness and joy of the Lord, that he is glorified, that, that he receives joy. But Isaiah talks about a process here and many things to give an exchange. He exchanges those good things through some th other things we have to go through, some bitter cups, right? some mourning, some times of ashes, where it seems like everything has kind of gone to ashes that we value. The oil of joy, but for mourning. The garment of praise, but is exchanged for heaviness. You know, David in Psalm 23 said, He anoints my head with oil. You know, God wants to anoint us with the oil of joy, like Nehemiah, who bears the, the cup of joy to the king, but this joy often comes by mourning. Like Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn. And, and if you read it without that context, Lord, what kind of blessing comes from mourning? But when we look at Isaiah, it's an exchange. It's an oil of joy that comes as we drink of that bitter cup that sometimes it's a season of mourning over what we're having to go through, what we're having to experience. It's not always pleasant, but once we pass through that, joy can be released. There's a visual illustration of this that sometimes I think about is the, have you ever seen paintings by Thomas Kincaid? And what's always notable about his paintings is how he depicts light. So he'll have these little cottages or cabins or different things in the woods and and, and you look at that, and, the, and the, there's always a light coming through the windows of that cabin, and it's always vivid in how he uses the light and how the sun is shining or different things. And, but I read about an interview he had uh, where he shared how he developed the idea of using light in his paintings, and he always wanted to use it in such a vivid way uh, because it's so inviting. And, and that's what he said. He wanted 
the light to shine out of the windows of those houses to make them so inviting. Because um, you know there's people in there enjoying themselves and enjoying that. But he said that when he grew up, he always came home to a dark house because he was uh, his from a, a single mother. He was raised by a single mother who was always having to work to provide. And he came home after school or came home to a dark house. And, and he said he determined that uh, it would not happen to him. You know, and his experience birthed something in him to cause light to shine. And that's in a natural in his paintings. But I thought, you know, that's, that's yet a depiction that sometimes God takes us through seasons to show us what the lack of it is and what, what sorrow means to do a work in us. But then it's to, be, to have an exchange, to produce a divine exchange. One last verse in Psalm 30 and verse 5. Because we have to drink of that cup and sometimes it is, it's bitter. It says, For his anger endures but a moment, but his, in his favor is life. Weeping endures for a night, but that joy comes in, a, in the morning. And there's that concept that there's times when God will bring the cup of bitterness, or sometimes it's the cup of correction, where God says, look, I, I need to deal with some things. There's some things that, are, that I want to bring to the surface, and I want to deal with them, and that's not fun, is it? You know, we've led camps for many years, and I've, I've known some young people who just like to have fun, right? That, that's kind of how they approach life. But then later on, they experience sorrow because they didn't learn what the lessons they needed to in life. But we've also known those who have learned to bear their yoke in their youth, as it says in Ecclesiastes, and, you know, they were blessed because of that. And if we're willing to go through those difficult seasons and at times drink a bitter cup, God can bring an exchange or will bring an exchange. You know, even, even mourning over sin, facing the reality that, oh, there's something in me that needs to change. It's so easy to want to ignore it and overlook it and keep it hidden. But God wants to bring us to that freedom of, of, of letting us free from that sin, that area in our nature where he wants to change. And then we can rejoice in the goodness of the Lord. We can know a joy that's better than anything this life has to offer. And that joy will enable us to endure to the end so we can sit down in our appointed place in the kingdom of God. And so we all have a cup to drink. Uh, the wicked, they don't have any thought for the ways of God, but for, you know, they're going to drink that bitter cup in the end and for eternity. But for the righteous, God has a cup that's going to overflow with his goodness and his mercy and his blessing for all of our days. There may be some bitter things we have to pass through or allow him to do and work in our lives. And as we continually cry out for a cleansing, Lord, just cleanse my cup, cleanse my vessel that I can be a vessel of honor fit for the use of the master and prepared. And as we persevere in that pathway, God will anoint our heads with the oil of joy and bring an exchange for mourning. 
in exchange of the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, and then our cup will run over, and surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life, and we will dwell that way in the house of the Lord forever. Father, that's our cry. Lord, we, we want to be those who drink of the cup that you've appointed for us. Lord, we recognize that it's beyond us in a way, Lord, to, to desire that. But yet you're calling us not to, to drink of our own cup and of our own way and our own will, but to drink of your cup and to follow you in your way and to do your will. Lord, help us even to accept that phrase and make that the cry of our life, not my will, but your will be done. Oh God, just come and cleanse us afresh today. Oh, lead us in your wonderful pathway. And Lord, we desire, oh God, we greatly desire to that our vessel and our cup would be filled with the joy of the Lord. Oh God, help us to accept and go through, Lord, whatever you would have us to drink so that there could be an exchange of that. Uh, Lord, the, Lord, that sorrow for the oil of joy. Lord, a new garment of praise for heaviness. Oh, do that work within us. Do it in, in each individual life. Do it in our church. Do it in our fellowship, we ask. And we thank you and we bless you and we rejoice in you. Oh, for your cup is good. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.